Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are. Do you see what I see? I see a church that for 16 years has loved South Atlanta one relationship at a time. A church that in the past year alone has seen more salvations and baptisms than any other year in its history. I see a church that is committed to making a lasting impact in Coweta and Troop County. A church that has deep relationships in schools and in the community. A church that has trusted God and has followed Him at all cost. But I see more. Do you see what I see? I see a church that is willing to do whatever it takes to share the love of Jesus. A church that is ready for what God has next. I see a church that has established itself in Troop County and is ready for a permanent location. A church that wants to expand throughout South Atlanta. A church that gives out of the overflow of their heart. A church that is the future of the next generation. I see a church that is being the church. I see Southcrest. God has given our church an incredible opportunity to impact His kingdom. Over the next 100 days, we are asking you to join us in our Do You See What I See giving campaign as we move forward with all that God has planned for our church. Hey man, I think we ought to give a big round of applause to both of our campuses, their worship teams. They nailed that song today. So, so awesome. Hey, we are live between both cities right now between LaGrange and Noonan. Would you give it up for our LaGrange campus? Come on, Noonan. LaGrange, let me hear you real quick. Come on, let's shout real quick. I'm so glad that we're here together. And some of you go, how in the world are we live? I don't know. It's kind of a mystery to me. But I'm very, very excited that we get to spend this time together today. So we're launching a brand new series today called Rise Up. And uh, some of you already asked the question, why did you come to the, the name Rise Up? Uh, let me say this. Falcon fans, we need to rise up, right? Like someone asked me, why didn't you preach this before the Super Bowl, Right? And I want to say it's probably more needed now. It's, it's, it, now's the timing of it. But let me say this. We're going to be studying through the book of Nehemiah for the next six weeks. And uh, most of the series we do are two-week two week series or three-week or four-week. This one's going to take us all the way up to Easter. Very excited. Once or twice a year, we take a book of the Bible that we feel like God wants us to teach on. And we just kind of teach through that Bible or that passage and teach through where God is taking us as a church. Last March, we did a series called Losing My Religion. If you want to check it out, it's a great series. We basically preach through the book of 1 John. It's a phenomenal series about just getting authentic in your faith and, and what the book of 1 John teaches us about that. But now for the next six weeks, we're going to book, be in the book of Nehemiah together. And it's going to be an amazing journey. We're going to be talking about rising up. And I just want to say this, there's some amazing dovetails between the series we just ended, the grace card, and what we're going to talk about in the life of Nehemiah. In fact, I want to say this, I think God's timing of this series is so perfect with what we just learned about grace. Here's why. We are saved by grace, but according to Ephesians 2.10, we are saved by grace to do good works in Christ Jesus. We are destined to rise up. 
grace has caused us to rise up because of the grace of God that's upon us, which we're going to even talk about that today. It's pretty amazing. It's so important that we get this idea. God's grace gives us the power to rise up. See, here's what I know about every person who's here, both of our campuses. Everybody in their life wants to do something bigger with their life. Everybody in their life wants to accomplish something great. I don't meet people all the time that say, hey, my goal is to grow up and be a loser. Like, I don't meet those people, right? I meet people like, I watch some of you on social media. Man, you want to do great things for your kid's school. You want to do great things for your kid's football team or their baseball team. You know, you want to win a championship every time. Uh, I don't know any parent that would look at their child and say, hey, go out today and strike out. (laughs) You just don't do that. Why? Because we're all wired with this idea that there's something about our life. We want to accomplish something big. So why are we doing this series called Rise Up? Here's why. God has placed a destiny in each one of us. A destiny. God has placed a destiny in every single person that's in this room today. Children, age nine, God has a destiny for you. Grown man, age 60, God isn't finished with you. He's still working on you. He has a destiny. Here's how I know that. Because if you're still alive, God's still moving you towards the final destination of your life, and he has destiny for you. The reason why we are going to be studying this book is God has placed a destiny in every single one of us. And in pursuit of that destiny, we're going to face some challenging circumstances. And we're going to be required to take some great risk in our life, right? And we're going to have to persevere through faith. We're going to have to find a way to rise up. And there's no greater place in the Bible than to look at Nehemiah because he gives us a picture of this whole process. And just like him, we can rise up and fulfill our destiny. See, I'm so excited about this series because most people think Nehemiah is a story about a guy who went to go rebuild a wall. Because I want to tell you halfway through the series, the wall's going to be done and we're still going to be talking about it. Why? Because it's not about a wall. God uses the wall as a motif because what he's really trying to do is to get his people to rise up. God has placed destiny in every one of us to rise up. And we see this story because it shows us how we can rise up. Listen, regardless of our past, regardless of our present situation, and most importantly, even our future challenges. Nehemiah shows us how to rise up. So here's what I know. I, maybe, maybe you have a perfect life, but life's full of a lot of up and downs, isn't it? I mean, look at our world today. Look at what people are talking about today. We're talking about people with nuclear arms. We're talking about people rioting. We're talking about all these different things going on in our society. And as a church, we can't just turn our head away from what's going on in our society. We've got to address it. And I don't know if you realize that or not, but we are the people of God. We're the church of Jesus Christ. And we are the first ones that God has called to rise up. You see, last week when I was in Israel, I went to this place called Caesarea Philippi. It was known as the place where they would worship the God of panic or God of pan. They would take a little girl from the people because they wanted to appease the God of pan so much that they would take a little girl and they would bind her up and they would put her on an altar and they would sacrifice her to the God of pan. And this had gone on for years and years and years. And Jesus walks on the scene in Caesarea Philippi with Peter and some of his followers. And he asked that question, right? Who do you say I am? 
Jesus says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're so right, Peter. In fact, upon that statement, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell don't stand a chance. And he looked at that cave where they had sacrificed the God of Pan, where we get our word panic. Sound familiar in our day and age? You ever feel like our world's full of panic? Everything's a problem. Every, everything, have you ever noticed the news? Everything's breaking news. <laughs> news is breaking all the time. I'm like, why don't we fix it? Okay, it's breaking news. But Jesus looks and he goes to the darkest place and he looks at it and he says, and my church will stand and the gates of hell won't stand against it. Listen, we are destined as the church of Jesus to rise up. It's our destiny. So life's full of all these up and downs and we have to deal with all these broken situations in our world, dreams that have died and the thought of our world being torn apart in front of us is almost too much to bear. But I want you to know something. What we do in the midst of what we see will determine the breakthrough that God wants to bring. So I want to give you a couple thoughts before we look at the text. In fact, as you turn over to Nehemiah chapter 1, it's a book in the Old Testament, right after the book of Ezra. A lot of people believe that Ezra and Nehemiah were really one book, but really they're two separate thoughts, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute. And as you're turning over there, I want to make two very important statements to you. The first one is this. To rise up, we must stay connected to our destiny. To rise up, we must stay connected to our destiny. Because there's a lot of things in this life and in this world that want to make us think that God is gone, that we are lost, that we can't fix this, that we can't change this. And that is so far from the truth. If we're going to rise up as Nehemiah did, he stayed connected to his destiny. We must see as God sees and then begin to operate as God sees things because God has a dream for us. You know, the other thing I know, to rise up, we must reject indifference and be willing to be used by God. We live in a world full of indifference. I hear statements like this all the time. Hey, that's not my problem. I know we have a 50 billion trillion dollar debt, but that's not my problem. I know we have people riding in the streets, but that's not my city. It's kind of a not my job mentality in America right now, right? And the funny thing is when you leave American soil because America is the greatest country in the world and you go to other places and you realize maybe we've forgotten a little bit of our greatness. That to truly rise up, we have to, first of all, reject just being indifferent. This idea that I can just stay docile, that I can let all these things happen around me and they're truly not my problem. Because the first thing we're going to learn about Nehemiah is he came to a place of holy discontentment. Have you ever had holy discontentment before? Sometimes I come in here on Wednesday nights because I still love our teenagers. I was a student pastor for 20 years and I'll watch our student pastors preaching to our students and I'll watch them worshiping. And there's this sense of holy discontentment that just rises up in me because I want every teenager in our region to know Jesus. Still. I want every teenager to hear the gospel still. And I feel that same way. Nehemiah, he had to rise up and to do that, he had to reject indifference, even when it's difficult. You see, we live in a generation where it's easier to make a statement than it is to make a difference. 
Everybody wants to make a statement. Hey, did you see what I posted? Hey, did you see what I said? Did you see how I said it? Guys, that's not gonna change our world. What's gonna change our world is when we as the church of Jesus Christ reject indifference. We cannot let our society go the way it's going. God has a plan, he has a destiny, and we are his plan. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are not subject to the world. The world is subject to us. The church of Jesus Christ, the big C church. I think that's why God left us here. So in Nehemiah chapter one, we read this story about this guy. And here's why I love Nehemiah so much. He's just like you. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a preacher. In fact, in the book of Nehemiah, do you realize that in all the chapters, he never performed one miracle? He didn't do anything miraculous. He had no wow factor. He had no sizzle. People probably wouldn't have followed him maybe a little bit because he's like, hey, he's not that charismatic. Like he doesn't have a a, a personality that I can get behind. But yet Nehemiah in this book did something that nobody else did. In Nehemiah 1, we know that the year was about 450 BC. And Nehemiah being a layman was also a civil worker because he was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. And he... King Artaxerxes ruled from 464 BC to 423 BC. And during this time, Nehemiah grew up in captivity. He was serving in the palace of the king of Persia while the walls of Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem and the people of God had been broken down and exiled. You know what I love about his name is this. The word name Nehemiah means Yahweh has comforted. The Lord has comforted. Even in his name, God announced his destiny. God always has a plan for his people. Look at verse one. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, that means it would have probably been around November or December. He says, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that means he's in the king's palace, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. 586, the Babylonians came and they destroyed Jerusalem. And they exiled all of the the Jews that were living in the the time of of that place. And they were spread out all over the world. Look at verse three. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. The report that Nehemiah got was not a good report. In fact, it looked pretty bleak because there was only three words that can describe what was said to Nehemiah. These three words, remnant, ruin, and reproach. There's a remnant. There's about 50,000 Jews that have come back to Jerusalem from the Babylonian captivity, but the city is in ruin. The temple had been rebuilt. We know that through the book of Ezra, but the city walls that protected the people were still broken down. Things were in ruin. And then he says this, he says, and people who are God's people are left full of reproach. You see, the idea of a wall may not seem big to us. In fact, let me say this. In our culture, if you say these words, hey, let's build a wall. Not everyone gets excited, do they? Half the crowd will go, yeah, let's build that wall. And the other half will go, what are we thinking, you know? But for these people, the wall represented their identity, their protection, 
You couldn't even guard from varmints coming into the city. In fact, one of the gates we went to known as Solomon's Gate, he had three gates to get into the city because when they would bring the battling rams up, if they broke through the one, they had a second wall and then a second wall. And it wasn't, it wasn't unlike the Jewish people to build walls within walls within walls because the walls represented their protection. And in this moment, Nehemiah was faced with the remnant that God's people are back there and I'm here. There's ruin and there's reproach. The thing about it is Nehemiah grew up knowing that all that had existed. But when he asked the question, you know what he was doing? He was rejecting indifference. Why did he even ask the question? Hey, hey, what's going on back in Jerusalem? And Hanani gives him the report. Why? Because he was rejecting indifference. To rise up, we've got to move off of a place of just saying it's somebody else's problem. God has given us a destiny to fulfill. I mean, the story, think about it. It begins with this idea of this heaviness that he's handed, this story that he's given, and there's this spirit of heaviness upon his life. But Nehemiah rose up even though things weren't easy. And I want to say this to you today. Listen, in our society... We've allowed too many of our circumstances to define our ability to rise up. I want to say it to you this way. Never let your circumstances determine your destiny. Instead, let your destiny define your circumstances. Let me say it again. Never let your circumstances determine your destiny. Instead, let your destiny define what's happening around you. Because here's what we do. We somehow think that the problem is bigger than the solution. I want you to see what Nehemiah did. Look at verse four. He said, when I heard these things, this is how he responded. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know what I find telling about that? Nehemiah knew where to go when he faced the burden. Let me ask you a question. Where do you go when you get burdened down? Let's be honest, some of us go to Facebook, don't we? Oh, it's such a rough day. My latte wasn't hot enough today at Starbucks. I'll never go back again. (laughs) Oh, it was a rough day. My kid only scored two touchdowns, and I told him he had to score four. He wasn't getting allowance. We go to Facebook, don't we? We want people to feel what we feel. But the truth is, in this moment, you know what Nehemiah did? He went to God. You see, breakthrough always begins with a burden that's divinely directed. And the beautiful thing about this is instead of letting his circumstances determine his destiny, he let his destiny define his circumstances. This is what God wants, and this is what God wants me to do. You know what else I love about this? It's proof that God doesn't use perfect people to do amazing things. He was broken. In fact, I would say he was in such holy discontent, he was probably wrecked. And here's the beautiful thing about that for you and I, why we have hope in the midst of the society we're living in, okay? God will use the broken to create the breakthrough. He used a guy like Nehemiah who was broken. 
And he said, I'm gonna use you to create the breakthrough. I wanna tell you something, church, listen. God wants to use every one of us to change the world around us. We are not left here to take up oxygen and die. I thank God I'm not left here just to pay taxes. Listen, I'm not left here to see who the new announcer is going to be on Monday Night Football. God left us here because he wants to bring something about in our world and he wants to use you and I and he will use the broken to create the breakthrough. But here's the thing. Here's our struggle. We think the problem's bigger than the solution. I want to tell you something. When Nehemiah prayed, you know what he was saying to you and I? God is my solution. God's my solution. I got on my knees and I mourned and I fasted and I prayed. Why? He went to the one place. God is the solution. I like what Bill Johnson says. He says these words. He says, the enemy uses lies to make our problems appear bigger than the solution we already carry. Isn't that what he does? Oh my gosh, you can't overcome this debt in your life. Oh my gosh, you, your, your kid's out of control. You can't, you can't ever be a good father. You can't ever be a good mother. He wants us to think so much that the problem is so big that the solution is just, it just might work. It just, it, it may, God may be able to fix this. No, guys, listen, we've got it all the way around. The enemy has lied to us and made us think that our problem is bigger than our solution. But when Nehemiah got on his face and prayed, here's what he said, God... You are bigger than everything that has been broken down in my life. That's why he prayed and he mourned and he fasted because he knew that God was already his solution. Look at verse five. Then I said, this is what he prayed. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And then look what he does. He says, I confess the sins we Israelite. Now, I just want to stop right there because it would have been real easy for Nehemiah to say this. God, I don't know what those people were thinking back in Jerusalem, but they have screwed it up and I pray you would rescue them. You know what that's called? Blame shifting. He said, no, we have sinned against you, including myself and my father's family, and we've committed against you. Verse seven, we've acted wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. And then in verse eight, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even if you are exiled people or at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for them. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. He put it all back on God. God, you are the solution. And then verse 11, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. What man's he talking about? The king. In this prayer, he realized that God is my solution 
And instead of letting my circumstances define my destiny, I'm going to let my destiny define my circumstances. And then he says, God, I'm calling out to you because you're all I've got and you are my solution. And he says to him, God, I need you and because I'm going to go stand in the presence of the king. And then he says these words, I was cupbearer to the king. Now, let me just say this. Some jobs are more glamorous than other jobs, right? Like, I would love to be the guy that worked for a professional band and all they did was fix the drum sets. That's a cool job. I would love to be the guy that restrings guitars for bands that go out on, on the road. You say, well, I don't know, I just think it's cool. Cut bear to the king. What was his job? It was a civil job, but basically you worked in the inner courts of the king. You had access to things that nobody else had access to because everyone who walked in to meet with the king, they would have walked in like this. They weren't able to look at the king unless the king said, hey, look at me. But here is Nehemiah. He hears the report, and instead of getting on Facebook and blowing it up going, we are done, (laughs) he rises up, and he tells us in this story, hey, guess what? I was cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer would basically sit there, and anytime the, the king would want wine, they would hand him the glass of wine, and he would taste the wine, and then he would hand it to the king. You say, why? <laughs> because if someone was trying to poison the king, the cupbearer would die first. It's a 50-50 job, right? Hey, is it a good day? Yeah, I didn't die. Nobody poisoned the king. But he would sit there and he would drink for the king and then he would hand the cup to the king. But here's the thing, if you were cupbearer, you heard conversations nobody else heard. You went into rooms nobody else went into. You went into chambers that servants weren't even allowed to because you were required to be near the king. Here's what I love about that. He tells us that his position gave him access to the king and all of his resources. Can I tell you this today? The same is true about you and I. Our position in Christ gives us access to the king and all of his authority and all of his resources. Say, how do you know that? Well, in the book of Hebrews, the writer says this in Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Everyone say confidence. That's not very confident. Everyone say confidence. All right. See, sometimes in church, we just need to be kind, of, kind of be reminded. Like, he says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, God wants us to understand our position so that he can accomplish the work through us. How do you know that, Ephesians 2.10? God gave us and saved us by his grace so that we could do good works in Christ Jesus. We have position that gives us power. We have position in Jesus that gives us access. We have position in Jesus that gives us the empowerment to do something great for God. And the world should look at us and say, I don't know how she overcame cancer. I don't know how he overcame that bad divorce. I don't know how he got through his drug. And we stand up and go, it's him. It's him. It's all his grace. It's not my work. 
He just created this in me because he always wanted to do good works in me. I just think that's a major moment. We have that same access before our king. But I want to tell you, at this moment, what Nehemiah did was really what defined the beginning of his rising up. We learned that in chapter 2, first couple of verses, Nehemiah made the decision. In fact, we know that he waited four months. It's funny how Scripture tells you the exact month, and then it tells you the exact month. It would have been four months from, from when Hanani had told him the story about the walls in Jerusalem. Four months. I'm sure about month one, he's like, God, are you sure you want me to do this? The king may kill me. He makes the decision, and here's the thing about the king. The king had it in his mind because all Persian kings thought this way. When you go to the king, if the king looked at your face and he wasn't absolutely convinced that you were completely for him, he'd have you killed. Nehemiah in the first part of chapter 2 walks in and he walks into the king and you know what he did? He risked everything. In fact, I want to say it to you this way. We must be willing to risk our reputation if we're going to establish God's reputation. He walked into the king knowing what he had to share with him. I mean, I think it would have been easier for him to say, hey, I'm going to get somebody else to go tell the king this. But he didn't. He stepped up. He rose up and he risked his own reputation so that God's reputation could be repaired. And in verse 4, Look at how the king answers him. The king said to him, what is it you want? (laughs) Can you imagine his face at that moment? Like, hey, he's not gonna kill me. The king says, what is it that you want? God had already been working. Hey, listen, some of you are going through some really bad circumstances in your life and you think God stopped working a long time ago. God's not done working. God worked in the heart of a king so that the moment that this guy walked in and shared his heart about what God wanted to see happen and he put his reputation on the line so that God's reputation could be reestablished in Jerusalem, God had already changed the king's heart. The king says, what is it you want? And then he prayed to the God of heaven. I love, he stopped and he prayed, Lord, please help me. I'm about to drop a bomb. I call those Hail Mary prayers, right? Like, Lord, if you could help Doug Flutie, you could help me, okay? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. He was very direct with him. Verse six, then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. I love this. So I set a time. I mean, that would have been the moment where he said, I don't know if I want to go through with this. But he said, I set a time. Verse 7, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Jerusalem. As a Jew who worked in the king's palace, he would have had no authority to travel that road between Persia and Jerusalem. He said, will you write me a letter of recommendation so when they stop me and want to kill me, they'll see your name on my travel. 
It gets better because look what he does. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will. He, he basically says, hey, can you send me down to the Home Depot and get me some building supplies? If I was him, here's how I said it. King, I can do it. You can help. Okay, that's the Home Depot way. And so he, he said, I gotta build me a place to live. And look what it says. This is where it just gets so amazing. He says, and because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. Sometimes we read scripture so fast, we don't realize what God's really saying to us. But that idea of God's gracious hand that God upholds us, that God holds on to us. And what Nehemiah said to us is, don't you dare think that I had the audacity to go before a king who could slit my throat and ask him for things that were audacious. Because what he did is he went to a king and he said, I'm not just asking for a little bit, I want all of it. But he knew what God wanted and he knew what God had promised. And he knew that God had already provided. He said, the gracious hand of my God was upon me. In fact, do you realize in the book of Ezra, Ezra says that very statement eight times. The gracious hand of my God. What did we just talk about for four weeks? Grace. You can't depart the two. The gracious hand of God means that God has already placed me and he's empowered me and he is with me and I can't lose in this. The only way I can lose is to chicken out and just stay low when God has destined me to rise up. And here's what I wanna say to you. We have the same hope and promise as Nehemiah. The grace of God is upon us through the Lord Jesus Christ because of our salvation in Jesus, because of our, our grace identity, which we've talked about, we have the grace of God to do what God has called us to do. In fact, his grace has the power to accomplish it through us. I just believe that. In fact, I wanna say it to you this way. If God has called you to it, he will always give you the grace to see you through it. You see, I, I live in a world where a lot of people want to tap out all the time. I grew up as an athlete, okay? So I grew up as a football player. I learned very early, if you want to play in the game, you don't come out of the game. You stay in the game and you fight. We have a lot of people in our world, they blame, they shift blame. They're so broken by their past, they can't even realize their own destiny. Guys, I want to tell you something. If God has called you to it, he will always give you the grace to see you through it. I remember kneeling beside of my bed as an 18-year-old. I'd been a believer three months, and I said, Jesus, I will go wherever you want me to go, say whatever you want me to say, and preach to whoever you want me to preach. I meant what I said. I just didn't realize God meant what he said too. Because for 29 and a half years, all I've understood is the gracious hand of God upon my life, even when I didn't understand how. If God has called you to it, he will always give you his grace to see you through it.
Grace isn't what you answer to get into the gates of heaven. Grace is what God has put upon us. His gracious hand was upon me. And I love what he says. And because of that, the king granted my request. Listen, folks, God destined you to rise up. We need to reject the spirit of indifference in our culture. I am not here to pay taxes. I'm not here to take up oxygen. I'm not here to just come attend a church. I'm not here to just read my Bible because I need help on a Tuesday when things get really tough. I'm here by divine purpose and God has a destiny for my life and your life. And could it be, just like with Esther, that for such a time as this, you and I are right here, right now. We need to rise up. Would you pray with me today? Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you have made a decision for Christ or have any prayer request, please email us at hello at southcrest.tv. If you would like to join us in our Do You See What I See giving campaign, please check out our website at southcrest.church forward slash do you see.